Welcome to the Friday Five, a series in which we cover five stories in health and science research over the previous week that you may have missed. There are plenty of controversies and ethical issues in science, and we get into many of them in our online magazine. But there are also lots of stories to be excited about, and this news roundup is focused on scientific work to give you a therapeutic dose of inspiration headed into the weekend. First up in the Friday Five, Johns Hopkins researchers have found that if you have more of a certain type of DNA in the blood, that could bump up the type of inflammation that's linked to dementia. As cells die, they get much smaller and their protective outer surfaces become flimsier. These cells finally break apart with their contents, including pieces of DNA, spilling out into the rest of the body. This is called free-range DNA, and while that might conjure images of a chicken happily exploring a grassy knoll, in this case, it's more like a prison break, and our immune system tends to go into overdrive trying to catch these DNA mischief makers on the loose, which leads to the inflammation. The Hopkins researchers ran an eight-year study, carefully watching the levels of free-range DNA in 79-year-olds. As they aged to 87, the seniors with more free-range DNA had bigger declines in their cognition. They also showed more frailty. The research team is hoping that a single blood test could pick out people who are at risk for developing these problems earlier on, when doctors can intervene in ways that help them stay healthier as they get older. The Hopkins team is also looking to figure out what kinds of cells are most responsible for free-range DNA, thinking they could try to develop drugs that will keep these cells intact so they're less likely to spill out free-range DNA and cause inflammation, perhaps slowing down the aging process. Next up, when I was 12 years old, a good friend lost his dad at age 43 to a cerebral aneurysm. And what struck me back then as especially tragic was how random it seemed that someone who otherwise appeared perfectly healthy could simply drop dead in the prime of his life. These ruptures in the brain's blood vessels are not as unlikely as you might think, occurring in about 4% of people. Now, researchers in India are making headway to decrease the randomness of aneurysms. They're drawing from math to predict who's at risk. Knowing that aneurysms happen when the weakest part of a vessel gets thinner and then expands, causing more stress on the vessel walls, the research team was able to measure the sizes of bulges that turned into aneurysms, and then ran the numbers on patterns in how blood flows through these choke points. The authors of this study, which was published on Tuesday in Physics of Fluids, weren't using a composition graph book or TI-82s. They were able to access a network of India's supercomputers to simulate the flows. The high-powered computing came in handy, especially when looking at so-called multi-lobed aneurysms, which are much more complex because they have more than one sphere of blood expanding from the vessel. The researchers are using their findings as the basis to make computer programs that doctors can easily use to identify patients who have a high risk of developing an aneurysm, as well as to figure out how well different approaches to treatment are working on those who've already been identified. In last week's Friday Five, I described a study that suggested the best recipe for growing tiny parts of human brains in the lab so scientists can study them. Well, a team of researchers at Stanford has gone a bit further, managing to take these teensy clumps of human brain cells, called organoids, and insert them into the brains of mice, and get these cells to sync up with various activities going on in the brains of these rats. The study, which was published on Wednesday in the journal Nature, is important because it could help researchers study and understand how a range of disorders affect people's brain cells. 
There's only so much you can learn from tiny slivers of brain cells sitting on their own in a lab. And it's very challenging to study these cells inside living humans, but researchers can find out much more by watching them inside mice. They do this by inserting a gene into the human cells that responds to blue light. After the cells are inserted into mouse brains, the scientists can shine blue light to stimulate these human cells and see how they affect other cells. The Stanford scientists perform this feat in baby mice, whose brains are still developing and more open to meshing with the human cells. Adult mouse brains are too fixed in their ways. The researchers were able to tickle the whiskers of the mice and watch in real time as the human cells process those signals, showing just how synced up they were to the mouse brains. To find out more about this study, I recommend a great video created by the Museum of Science, in which the neuroscientist who led the research, Sergio Pasca, explains very clearly how his experiments worked, why this research is so important, and why we don't have to worry about mice with human brain cells gaining human intelligence and trying to take over the world. Check out the show notes to find the link to the video. The Stanford neuroscientists are now looking to use these transplants to study the inner workings of disorders in humans, such as schizophrenia and autism. Next up, scientists at the University of Bath may have found the kryptonite for a deadly superbug. The bug is called MRSA, and it's caused by a bacterium called S. aureus that's become resistant to antibiotics. S. aureus is a huge threat to health, linked to a million deaths in 2019 due to illnesses that antibiotics did nothing for. A whopping 30% of people worldwide have S. aureus inside their noses or on their skin. Most of us don't get sick, but it's a very different story for people whose immune systems are compromised. And in recent years, for reasons we don't entirely understand, more and more perfectly healthy people have been landing in the hospital due to this sinister bacterium. So what's the kryptonite reported this week in Frontiers in Microbiology? It's a mixture of elements that occur together naturally, found in most living things, called polyamines. In the past, scientists couldn't help but notice that our nemesis, S. aureus, is one of the few organisms that doesn't have polyamines. And soon after that, they realized why. Polyamines are toxic to them. The bath researchers were able to tweak the polyamines to enhance their ability to destroy S. aureus. In lab tests, this new version was able to kill off the growth of 10 strains of S. aureus, most importantly a few kinds that had become resistant to drugs that were patients' best shot at beating an MRSA infection. Another amazing thing about this new version of polyamines is that it does its job in a much less concentrated form, meaning it's not only more effective but also less likely to cause side effects. More research is needed on why exactly it works so well. The research team thinks it basically drills holes in the cells of S. aureus, and then this superbug killer could become an important option for treatment. And new research out of Indiana University could help kids decide which sports they want to play, if they're keeping in mind their long-term health, something that kids aren't exactly known for. The scientists looked at young women who ran cross-country for their colleges and found that those who had chosen at too early of an age, around middle school, to focus entirely on running were the ones who had developed with less bone mass and less bone size. This put them at higher risk of injuries, such as stress fractures and other bone breaks, as college athletes. But they'll also be at higher risk for these injuries throughout their lives. The same issue applies to other sports like running, where you're just going in one direction the whole time, like swimming and cycling. But the college women in the study who had played other sports where you move in lots of different directions, with less of the exact same type of repetitive impact, like basketball or tennis, had 10 to 20% stronger bones than those who'd focused only on running when they were younger. 
Based on their research, the Indiana University team thinks that it's best to hold off on specializing in these one-direction sports until kids get to their first year of high school. And the researchers added that, even if a kid already plays multi-direction sports, it's also key to enjoy a number of rest periods throughout the year to avoid overuse injuries and develop strong bones that last a lifetime. And in an honorable mention this week, neuroscientists at the University of Washington published a paper in Plus Biology in which they studied the brain cells that control sleep in fruit flies. Believe it or not, there's actually a good reason why you should care about the sleep of fruit flies. It turns out that their sleep looks a lot like our own. They do it at night while staying active during the day, and they take naps in the afternoon, albeit not under their desks at work like humans. They stay awake longer when they've got caffeine in their systems, and the same sleeping pills that work for us also work for them. Just one difference, our brains are about a million times bigger than theirs. Because their brains are so much smaller, scientists can study each of their brain cells in detail, and the University of Washington researchers honed in on 24 cells that affect the slumber of flies. They looked at a bunch of different behaviors to see how these neurons responded, leading to a finding that shows another similarity to humans, the benefit of intermittent fasting when it comes to sleep quality. The flies got to eat only between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m., and after a week, their sleep improved. Even when they slept fewer hours, they showed fewer signs of being tired. Overall, the researchers believe this study can inform the development of new therapies to help people with trouble sleeping. As always, you can find links to each study I've discussed this week in the show notes. And please check out the Leaps.org magazine online, where you can learn about the latest and most important challenges and developments in science, such as this week, an article on new vaccines for Lyme disease. Overall, the Leaps.org platform looks at innovations through the lens of rational optimism. You can find out what to be concerned about, but we also tell you which scientific breakthroughs are giving reason for excitement. Thanks for listening to the Friday Five, and have a great weekend.